Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Michael Gordon, and I'm proud to serve as the 95th president of the greatest Rotary Club in the world. Our club serves our local and international community through a variety of projects, but our main focus is on youth literacy. If you're ever in town for either business or pleasure, we invite you to join us at one of our weekly lunches. More information about meeting time and location can be found at lasvegasrotary.com. Now, sit back and enjoy this week's speaker. Hello, folks. I'll make this nice, uh, sweet, and short. So I've got the pleasure to introduce Mr. Raymond Hess, who is the director of planning over at uh, RTC. So you all have his bio in front of you. You can read all about his, uh, his success to date. Now, I did ask him a couple of personal things just so that you all can kind of, you know, see how, how nice a guy he really is. So he is married. He's got a six-year-old daughter. He and his family enjoy traveling in their off time. They just got back from Alaska. But even cooler than that, you'll see on his bio that he was in the Peace Corps for a couple of years. He actually met his wife in Africa during his trips in the Peace Corps. So if you would, you know, again, great information. Please go ahead and welcome Mr. Raymond Hess. Thank you, Rob, and thank you, President Michael, for having me here today. Um, first of all, let me assure you that um, I do own another set of clothes, aside from the fact that in my bio picture, it's like the exact same thing I'm wearing today. So, so don't worry about the Santa clothes thing. I, I'm, I'm doing all right. But um, I, I also I just want to thank you all for everything you're doing. I mean, that was incredible, just what has happened over this past week and just all the good you're doing in the community. So I, I'm just blown away. So, so congratulations to you all, kudos to you. Keep up the good work. It's definitely something we need in the community, so thank you. So what we're gonna talk about today is a major initiative that the RTC has going on called Onboard Your Future Transit Plan. And I wanna really emphasize the word, your future transit plan. This is not something that we're doing behind closed doors in a vacuum. We definitely wanna hear from the community, which is why we're out here today talking to you. We're also at other public engagement events, and at the end of this presentation, I'll give you a website where if you have places you'd like us to come present to, uh, please inform us. So to kind of set the context for why we think this is important, I'm going to start you off with a fun little video. Uh, and I guess first one to uh, name what movie it comes from, sounds like has to make a donation. Sounds like that's a running theme. So let's start with this here. Whoops, takes a second to load. Oh, it hasn't even started yet, and we got office space, okay. How much of a donation does that add up to? I don't know. 95 bucks, President Michael says. All right, let's get... No, it's, it's supposed to load automatically. All right, so the point of that video, just to close your eyes and imagine it with me, okay? Close your eyes. There was a lot of congestion, and this guy was stuck in traffic. Uh, he gets frustrated. He moves over to the other lane. The lane he was just in moves by him. Uh, there's a gentleman in a walker that ends up walking past him uh, while he's stuck in traffic. Uh, and ultimately what I'm going to tell you in just a second is, you know, there's going to be a lot of growth that this region is still going to experience. And we think that finding transportation solutions that fit everyone's needs is going to be an important consideration. So that's part of the first part of our discussion is the amount of growth that's expected to occur, not only in terms of residents, but also visitors. Uh, and then... We also want to talk about how transit solutions can be part of the mobility of the valley and why that's going to be an important consideration for us moving forward. 
Uh, obviously, there's still going to be people driving, and we're putting a lot of uh, investment into roads. Uh, there are going to be people walking and biking, and we have plans for that as well. But today's focus is really going to be on transit. And then the other part, too, is you know, we're looking to the future as well. We don't want to kind of look backwards to figure out where we're going. We want to look forward. Uh, and there's a lot of new technology out there in the industry that might influence some of these recommendations, and I'll talk briefly about that as well. So if you're not familiar with the RTC, we're pretty much all things transportation to the valley. Many of you know us as the transit provider, so we run the buses. Uh, but what you may not know is we are a pass-through agency for different funding sources. So on the roadway planning and funding, we get both local sales tax and gas tax that we redistribute to the local jurisdictions, and we also get federal gas tax that we redistribute to the jurisdictions, so the cities and the county. So a lot of the road building that you see in the community passes through our agency before it's actually implemented uh, by the cities and the county. We're also the traffic management center. Uh, so this is, you know, traffic signal coordination, the ramp meters, the red and green lights that you see before you get on the freeway, uh, the dynamic message signs on the freeway that tell you if there's a crash up ahead or, you know, 10 minutes to the next uh, interchange. Uh, and then the last thing is we are Southern Nevada Strong. And if you're not familiar with Southern Nevada Strong, it's a sustainability initiative uh, that was spearheaded by the city of Henderson back in 2011 through 2015. Uh, when that planning was done, it was handed over to uh, the RTC to help administer. And there are 300 plus strategies on how to make our valley stronger. Uh, they are not all to be done by the RTC. They have things to do with education, uh, housing, transportation, environmental stewardship. So we're just kind of the, the chief shepherd of that process. We're working with partners across the valley uh, to, to make sure that we have a sustainable future, especially when it comes to economic development and education and all of those different things. So let's just talk for a moment, kind of set the stage about the growth and demand. Um, the first is, anyone know approximately how many people live in the Las Vegas Valley? Two and a half? Yeah, 2.1. Yeah, 2.1 million is right about where we are in terms of our population. Uh, according to some projections, in about 10 years, what do you expect us to be? Three? Uh, not quite that high, but 2.7. 2.7 by about 2025 is what the projections are. To put that into a little bit of context, the city of Henderson population is about 300,000. It's about 285,000. So just imagine in the next 10 years adding the population of two more city of Hendersons to our overall population. And just think about the demand that that's going to put on our transportation network. Similarly, how many visitors do we have to the valley? 40, yeah, 43 million, right? So we have 43 million people that come to our valley uh, annually. Uh, in about 10 years, what do we expect that to be? Yeah, 53 actually, so another 10 million. Uh, so this, this is kind of a back of the napkin sketch, but uh, we, we estimate that uh, MGM hosts about a million visitors per year uh, based on how many average room nights and how many rooms they have. Uh, and so that would be like having to build like 10 more MGM grands uh, to, to house all the people that would be coming as visitors. So just to kind of give some perspective in terms of the growth that this area is expected to continue to see. Now this map, you don't have to pay attention to the particulars, but what's important about this map is the red shows the highest concentrations of where people live and or where they work. Okay, so density, right? So this is where people are living or where they're working. And what you might, what you might probably expect is right around the strip, you see the highest concentrations, especially in terms of employment, right? So right there in the middle, that's the Las Vegas Boulevard, surrounded by the airport surrounded by you know, downtown Las Vegas. So it's probably what we would expect. This is where most people are living and or working. 
But what's important is if we project out into the future and we have complex computer models that help us with this and we work with our local partners to do this, if we look into the future, all those people that we just talked about, where are they going to live? Where are they going to be? We see that we have kind of a densification of our valley. We're seeing more density start to, to fill in, if you will. You know, many of you are probably aware that we're constrained by growing outward because we have a lot of federal land that surrounds us. And so instead of growing out, we're going to have to and grow up. Right? And so ultimately this map helps illustrate that, that you all of a sudden start to see concentrations of people in the north, in the southeast, uh, in the west, and you kind of see where what was a single line of red in the, before in 2015 has now kind of radiated outward. So I'll just scroll back and forth one time just so you can see 2015 to 2040. Now this is an important consideration for us because this is really where there's a lot of transportation demand, right? This is where people are living and or where they're working and they need to get to and from those destinations. This is one of our primary focal points for how we would plan a future transit system. So to give you a little bit of context in terms of what the RTC does today, uh, we currently carry 140,000 residential passenger trips per weekday. Uh, or we also call those boardings. So I always like to joke that's one person getting on the bus 140,000 times, or it's 140,000 people getting on the bus one time, or something in between, right? Uh, and so that's a lot, actually. Uh, if you project that out, that equates to uh, several tens of millions of people a year that actually are using our bus, or at least boarding the bus in terms of boardings. The other thing that's important to note is that our bus system serves an important function for our economy. 85% of the people who use our bus system are using it to get to and from work. Uh, additionally, 40% uh, are also using it for recreational, educational, retail, and medical purposes as well. So that's what our local population is doing. So these are the, the routes that are not on the Las Vegas Boulevard. If we look at the two routes that are on the Las Vegas Boulevard, we see that we have 35,000 passenger trips per weekday or boardings per weekday. And they account for 30% of our total transit revenue. So just think about that. We have two routes that are paying for a almost a third of our what we call fare box recovery, our ticket sales. Uh, that's important because that helps subsidize the rest of our system. As a result of the uh, high ridership, especially that we have on Las Vegas Boulevard, we're considered one of the most efficient transit agencies in the country. So we are number one in terms of our lowest operating cost. We are number one in the country in terms of the lowest subsidy. And we're number one in fare box recovery, the amount that we get through ticket sales. Um, and this is a national transit database. All transit agencies report into this. So it's not our assessment. This is a national assessment. Just to put this into perspective, typical fare box recovery is, for most transit agencies, is around 20 to 30%. So the fact that we're getting almost 52% in our ticket sales to help pay for the bus system uh, is, is quite remarkable. It's actually a standout system in the, in the country. So now let's talk specifically about this process and what it's going to entail. There are three focal points of onboard. The first is we're going to be looking at our existing transit system, what we call traditional transit. Uh, so this is the buses that you see out on the road today. We're also going to look at high capacity transit options. And when I say high capacity, I'm talking about that next generation of transit. Things like light rail, modern streetcar, bus rapid transit. Think of transit that operates in an exclusive right-of-way and is faster, more reliable than possibly bus services today. And then the other thing we want to look at is emerging transit technologies. We really want to understand what the future holds for transit and how some of those uh, emerging technologies may affect demand both positively and negatively so that when we plan, we can plan for those uh, changes. 
So let me dive a little bit deeper on each one of these. On traditional transit service, we really want to understand from existing transit riders and maybe even those who don't ride transit, where would you like to see more frequent service? Right? Some of our buses operate pretty frequently. They may come every 12 minutes, but in other parts of the valley, they may come only once an hour. And you know, that's a big difference. If you miss a bus and it comes every 12 minutes, maybe not a big deal. But if you miss a bus and it comes every hour, that's a big deal, right? The other thing we want to understand is, you know, where might there be new areas in the valley that we should serve? Where can we extend existing routes? Where do we want new routes that could better serve our population? And then lastly, where could we have faster service? You know, we have a couple freeway-style routes now. We have the Westcliff Airport Express, the Centennial Express. They operate pretty fast, actually. I take the Westcliff Airport Express quite frequently out to the west side of town, and I can get home faster on the bus than I can in the car because the Westcliff Airport Express hops in the HOV lane, the carpool lane, blows by traffic that's stopped and backed up, and then it's about a 35-minute uh, ride on the bus, and it's about a 40-minute uh, car ride home. High-capacity transit, again, I'm talking about kind of that next generation of transit that we probably don't have here in Las Vegas. Uh, and it's this idea of, you know, what sort of, what, first of all, we want to understand what the best practices are from peer communities. We're looking at five different peer communities. We're looking at uh, Phoenix, Denver, Salt Lake City, what we call our Intermountain West peers. And then we're also looking at uh, locations that have a high visitorship such as Orlando and San Diego. We want to understand what are they doing that's working, what are they doing maybe that's not working that we can learn from. We also want to identify high-capacity corridors. So what roadways could best serve high-capacity transit? Where will we have the highest demand for this type of service? And where could it function the best to serve the needs of the residents and visitors? And the other thing that's kind of unique about this study is we're, we're not looking at transit in isolation. We're also working with the local jurisdictions, the cities and the county uh, on future development opportunities. If you've been to Denver, Phoenix, or Salt Lake anytime recently, you've just seen a lot of growth happen around these light rail lines, uh, what we call transit-oriented development. We want to understand those opportunities as we plan this network out. Are there opportunities for you know, what we call mixed-use development, where you have maybe retail, commercial on the first floor, residential on the second floor and above? We're also interested very much in uh, mixed income uh, housing opportunities as well, that you know, we don't want to displace populations. We want to make sure that existing populations can benefit from this type of development too. And then on emerging transit technology, we really, again, we want to survey the landscape and we want to understand what's currently out there. We want to understand how that's going to affect demand. You know, there are things that can positively influence demand in terms of technology. So for those of you who aren't aware, we have a new app you can buy your fare, locate your bus, and plan your trip all on an RTC app. It's a cashless system. You can link it to your credit card. You can buy your pass and show it to the driver, and you're good to go. So that's something that could enhance the transit experience. But then there are possible threats to transit ridership, right? Like Lyft and Uber, uh, it's a lot more convenient to take a Lyft or an Uber than it is to take a bus, but it's maybe more costly, and so we have to understand those trade-offs. We believe there are six distinct benefits when it comes to uh, high-capacity transit in particular. First, we think that it makes Southern Nevada a better place to live, work, and play. We believe it contributes to the health and safety of the community. We think that it attracts a talented workforce and makes Southern Nevada more competitive. We believe that it improves the accessibility and mobility of our population. It makes Southern Nevada a better place to visit. And lastly, it boosts the region's economy. And we see these trends across other communities, especially that have this high-capacity transit, and we would experience these benefits to occur here as well. Just to give you a little idea about what this process will entail, 
Uh, it's a pretty complicated scope, but here's the scope boiled down to four simple steps. Uh, we're currently moving on to the development of alternatives. So we established kind of the purpose and need for the project early in the process that we have to solve for this mobility challenge as our valley continues to grow. Next, we're gonna, I'm going to show you a map in just a second of the alternatives that have been identified by the community. So we're in that step right now. And then we're going to move into the phase of evaluating those alternatives. Which corridors would be best suited for high capacity transit, this next generation transit, which could be better served by enhanced bus service. And then ultimately the plan will wrap up in about a year from now. It's about an 18 month process. So next summer, early fall next year, we hope to be finished with this project. So we went to the community and one of our first public engagement, we said, okay, what corridors should we look at? And the community told us, all of them. And then we're like, thank you. So this is the map of all the corridors that we're evaluating. It's pretty much every major roadway in the valley we are going to be looking at for potential in high capacity transit as well as enhanced transit solutions. Uh, you'd be hard pressed to find a road that isn't on this map. So it makes our, our project a little challenging, but we're up to that challenge. And in order to evaluate that, we're looking at five goals. We want to understand, you know, how can we make transit more compelling? How can we improve regional connectivity? How can we encourage responsible development? How can we make Southern Nevada more competitive? And how can we develop sustainable solutions? Under each one of these goals, there are several objectives. Under each of those objectives, there are several measurable outcomes that we're going to test that map against. And that will start to help quantify which corridors would work the best for us. So just to let you know where we are in this process, again, we still have about a year to go. Um, before I talk about the bullets that are on the screen, if you squint, you can kind of see in the background an image of a bus. Uh, this is a pretty exciting new public engagement tool that we have. What we did is we took a retired bus, we stripped out the inside, we put in TV monitors, we have uh, computer stations, we even have a kid's play area in the back so that we can roll this bus up to community events and get feedback from the community uh, on this study. The idea is we don't expect the community to come to us, we go to them to get their feedback on this. And so this is a really uh, important tool for us and we've been rolling it out at several community events around the, the uh, community. And I encourage you as well that if you have any events you would like us to at, please let myself know or Monica Bertaki, who's here as well, uh, we will we'll gladly go out. We have a we've challenged ourselves to do five public engagements a week. So that's a pretty ambitious goal uh, and we're hitting it. Actually, we're averaging about eight per week right now. So it's either presentations like this or we roll out to community events, whichever the case may be. Uh, like I said before, we're currently evaluating that big map that had 50 lines on it to see which corridors would best work. Uh, and then we're also looking at those peer cities, the Salt Lake City, Denver, Phoenix, Orlando, and San Diego. And we're analyzing which of uh, their best practices we could apply here to Southern Nevada. So just as a recap, uh, again, we feel like the underlying need here is that there's going to be tremendous growth in this area. And as a result of that growth, there's going to be increased demand on transportation. The idea is that transit provides one of, uh, one of a universe of, of solutions, right? So it's not that everyone we expect will take transit if we put in a light rail line. But there are some people that could benefit from that. And it's something for consideration. Uh, thank you to all of you who voted for uh, fuel revenue indexing back in November. That helped take care of a lot of the roadway network. So that's going to generate about $3 billion for roadways. Uh, so the roadway network is, is going to be in pretty good shape. Now we want to have a discussion about transit solutions. And that's what this plan is going to help us identify. It's going to help set a transit vision for us out to the year 2040. So it's 20 plus years uh, of, of looking forward. And ultimately we want to hear from you. 
Uh, if you take one thing away with you today, please take this website with you. It's onboardsnv.com. Uh, from there, you can access a survey. We currently have over 12,000 people who've completed the survey, and we've heard great information from, from all sectors of the community, and we want to continue to hear from them. Uh, that survey also will morph over time. We're going to ask for different input, and so always check back for this, uh, this website for more information. We're also uploading a bunch of information related to this study onto this website. So we have briefing books. If you don't know the difference between modern streetcar or light rail, we have a high-capacity transit briefing book that explains all of these concepts in, in really good detail with a lot of pictures. So you can kind of really wrap your head around what it is we're talking about. All right, so that concludes my presentation. Again, I want to thank you for your time, and do we have time for questions? Sir, are you calling me an elephant? Sunday, 2021. 100,000 people getting on the 15 going back to California. 65,000 people going to Raider Stadium. Help. So access to Raider Stadium. Is that what I'm hearing? Yep. To and from L.A. or just locally? Locally. Locally, yeah. So one of the things that we did as part of that map, and you probably couldn't see it, but there is the line, the map with all the... There are dots on this map, and what we're calling these are uh, major activity centers, uh, both existing and proposed. So when we started with the activity centers, we started with looking at universities, medical institutions, things of that nature. But then we also asked our stakeholders, we said, what are the other places we should be looking at? And Raider Stadium was one of the ones that definitely came up. So it's one of these dots here, I think. It's the yellow dot, um, since it's not currently built. So it is going to be factored into the equation. Yeah, we're definitely looking at it uh, right now. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we are running a specialized service to T-Mobile Arena for Golden Knights games. Uh, and so whether that's the solution or whether it's a light rail to the stadium, uh, we're not far enough along in the study to, to know exactly what the recommendation will be. So um, a lot in the media about light rail in Maryland Parkway, which for many of us who have been here a while is a bit of a stretch. Where is that process? Because media portrays it as a done deal. Yeah, so the question is about Maryland Parkway. We are currently in the environmental assessment phase for Maryland Parkway. So, you know, anytime you have a major transit investment, you have to kind of get it cleared through the Federal Transit Administration and through the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, and so we are currently moving that process along. Uh, and so right now where we're at is trying to figure out what we can afford. Uh, is it light rail or is it bus rapid transit along Maryland Parkway? For those of you that might be scratching your head saying, why would Maryland Parkway be your first bet for light rail? Uh, a couple reasons. One, uh, first, Maryland Parkway has been identified for uh, a high-capacity transit, a next-generation transit, for well over 10 years. And so it's taken us a while to even get the, the discussion this far along. But Maryland Parkway is an interesting corridor for us because it's, it's one of our highest ridership routes in the valley. If you think about what Maryland Parkway serves, we have McCarran International Airport to the south, we have UNLV, we have Boulevard Mall, we have Sunrise Hospital, we have downtown Las Vegas. Those are major activity centers. Those are major destinations. And it's going to loop over to UMC and the future UNLV Medical School. Uh, and you have Valley Hospital there as well. So it's connecting three hospitals, two university campuses, uh, the airport, and downtown. It hits a lot of the check boxes in terms of what would be a successful route. It also serves uh, a high transit-dependent population. Uh, a lot of people use Maryland Parkway to access the casinos off, you know, they'll take Flamingo or Tropicana 
uh, to get to back a house for uh, the staff that works at those casinos. And so it's an important corridor for, for ridership. So it is moving forward. We're hoping that by the end of this year, uh, we'll have the environmental process phased. We'll, we'll be finishing up the environmental process, and there will be a public engagement piece on that. People will be able to comment on it. The thing we're watching right now, quite frankly, is what's happening at the federal level. Typically, a major transit investment like this would be funded by 50% by the federal government. Uh, and right now, the current administration hasn't shown where their priority is in terms of these capital investments. Uh, and so we're waiting to see what this next budget cycle will bring. If they will, it's called new starts or small starts. Uh, a project of this magnitude would be new starts. Uh, if they put in funding for that, then it might get some wings and really start moving. So you're, you're scoping out 10 years, you know, and especially as autonomy and self-driving cars and electric kind of take over the market. Mm -hmm. You know, coming from metropolis like you know Minneapolis, St. Paul, typically, and I know due to Las Vegas's unique history, a light rail or an investment like this would start at an airport and then connect all the casinos going over so that you could easily access that transportation. Now, going that that's route there, I don't see anything in these schematics for that. Why? For a connection to the airport? Yeah. Yeah, so Maryland Parkway actually uh, would have a connection to the airport. Uh, and then, you know, some of the other corridors would as well. Uh, we're actually going to be studying uh, the resort corridor, Las Vegas Boulevard, independently of this study. It will feed into it. Are you saying bus route or are you saying light rail? Both. I mean, we're, we're going to evaluate both to see which would be the most feasible and which could move forward. But yeah, you're right. I mean, a connection to the airport, the airport is probably the biggest destination you would want to serve, right? And so uh, it's, it is definitely something we're working with the airport on. Uh, even today, we had a board meeting, uh, and Mayor Goodman asked Tina Quigley, our general manager, about that. Uh, and one of our assistant general managers, uh, Fred O'Heaney, said that we just finished negotiations with uh, McCarran International Airport about how we could serve the airport most effectively. Cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Let me, let me Thank you for coming to speak to us, Mr. Photographer. Thank you. Um, we would like to give you a Share What You Can Award, where we will donate a hot meal to a homeless vet in your name. So. Thank you. And I'm sure Raymond and Monica will be available afterwards to answer any of your questions. And then, like I always say, Rotary is like tennis. The one who serves best usually wins. Now go forth and make a difference. Thank you for joining us for another wonderful meeting of the Rotary Club of Las Vegas. If you're interested in membership or want to know more about our upcoming projects and speakers, please visit lasvegasrotary.com for more information. Now go forth and make a difference.